Welcome back, friends, to our podcast, IntelliKey Leadership Story. We're the podcast for conscious leaders. And Kirsten, as we've been thinking about companies that are purpose-driven and mission-driven for the environment, for people, it, but it's a game changer for them too when it comes to developing their leaders, hiring new leaders. Is that what you're hearing from your clients too? Yeah, I, it's all over the place. You know, I've been doing a lot of research on these UN initiatives relative to this conscious leadership in the markets with the ESG and performance indicators around female-led um, companies and all of these initiatives because of the purpose that's behind it. And, you know, investors are even being driven towards these types of companies because they're seeing the profit, right? You, They're, they're following the money chain, but there is an evolution in um, profitability and performance relative to the embracing of having socioeconomics, environmental issues addressed. So it's exciting. Yeah. And we've been talking with a lot of leaders in, in our podcast. Our guests have been saying they're drawn to these companies as much as they're being sort of advertised or attracted. They are drawn to those causes, aren't they? They are. They are. And investors are dropping companies that where the CEOs aren't following, mm. right? If the CEO just can't hear past the old way of doing things and we're watching, I mean, the market is brutal when these CEOs are not listening or saying something off color that no longer resonates, right? It's mm -hmm. these, the market indicators are pushing for a new direction as well. And that's equally as exciting. Having been a female executive, it's very exciting. Yeah. Lots to learn. Lots of experiences to draw upon. Well, it's in that uh, context that we want to welcome in our guest today, Rishon Blumberg. He's the co-author of Game Changer, How to Be 10X in the Talent Economy. And we'll explore these issues with Rashan. Rashan, welcome to our show. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. Well, there's a lot to dissect just in the title alone of the book. We can't wait to get into it. But I thought we'd explore sort of what the game change is in your mind. And then when we say 10x in the talent economy, I guess we mean both sides of the desk, or in this case, both sides of the Zoom conference call, you know, the hiring managers and the companies, but then also the leaders and the talent and the managers themselves. So let's, let's start with the game change. What are you seeing? You know, it's super interesting. We wrote this book, I would say 95% of it prior to the pandemic. Uh, not that things would have changed drastically with the book if we wrote it during the pandemic, but one of the things that was kind of an undercurrent in the book that would have been much more prominent now is just how much purpose-driven, mission-driven, and culture affect the marketplace and have affected the marketplace. I think so much of what we're seeing right now, especially with the great resignation, has to do with purpose-driven work and work-life balance and culture at companies. Um, and so Game Changer really, the concept there was about um, what we view 10Xers providing in the marketplace. Um, and I can sort of dive into what a 10Xer is, perhaps not at this moment, I'm sure that'll be a question that, that we'll, we'll ask down the road, but one of the main things that makes a 10Xer is somebody who's continually learning, who's interested, um, who's sort of on the cutting edge of what's going on. Um, we use technology as a backdrop, so cutting edge as far as technology is concerned, but cutting edge also in what they're looking for from work and their work life. And what most 10Xers want is pretty much in line with sort of where millennials and Gen Zs are, and that has to do with purpose-driven work. 
So to me, the game change really has to do with this complete shift in the old way of work, which I liken to the movie uh, Office Space, which I'm sure if you haven't <laughs> seen movie. it, you should. Right? <laughs> Thank you for pulling that yeah, out. I love yeah. that movie. Yeah. That not, was a game changer that's movie. That's right, but I'm telling you this, you're not touching my stapler, okay? <laughs> that's right, that's right. And I'm gonna have those TPS reports to you on Monday. I need um, Monday. You know, That's the old way of work. That doesn't work anymore. Cogs in a machine, treating people as if they are cogs in a machine doesn't really work. So, you know, the, the subtitle of our book, The Talent Economy, just this concept of talent alone, if you think of the people that work for you as talent as opposed to employees, you have a, a fundamental shift in your viewpoint. Um, LeBron James, who works for the Lakers, he's an employee of the Lakers, certainly is not thought of as an employee of the Lakers. He's thought of as talent, as their talent, vital talent. Um, and that's really the game change. 10Xers, people who are exponentially better really have to be thought of as individuals, not lumped into generic cogs. Um, and that's really the game change in my opinion. You know, and that's interesting, you know, if you think about the shift from employee to talent, but I also think about if you just add the S and say, you're really hiring talents, you know, that are inside a person, aren't you? You are, you're hiring for the talents that they possess, but the simple fact that with technology and companies being able to do so much more with less, every hire that you have has to have the flexibility to fill different gaps. They have to be malleable, um, like an adjustability quotient. How, how adjustable are you to your situation? And companies really can't afford to just lump people into small little holes anymore. Um, again, a cog in a machine. There are many cogs in many, in many, in many machines um, talent really can't work that way. You've got to super serve them and, and meet them where they are. Um, so yes, you're hiring the talents, but you have to view the totality of those talents within the person as something unique and treat them as such. You know, I love that you're speaking to this because this is, um, you know, creatives understand this, right? Artists, they, you can't, they have to have full flexibility to be able, you, you put baby in the box and you've lost him, there's no creativity, right? And so we go to this old paradigm, even pre-COVID where it was incredibly linear, show up to your desk nine to five, but be highly creative and innovative. Like that's an oxymoron. Those two can't right. fit hand in hand. And right. I got very, um, I was a single mother in, as an executive and, you know, the the introduction of having flexibility, it was really key for me. I need to be able to take off when I want to, but I guarantee you, you'll get the whole of me. And I did, I just showed up that way. But what I also hear you speaking to is the talent, right? And again, this is, this is a game changer for me. I had many people, I have a hundred interests and I really do look like I have a hundred interests. If you understand how I work, Mark laughs because he has to work with me, right? And then people say, but I know I, I need you to focus on one thing. But if you did that to me, you would stop the very thing that makes me, right? So how do you, that's what I hear you speaking to, right? There's the plurals in there where there's multidisciplined, multifaceted depth and width and creativity. How do you harness that? You know, one of the chapters in the book is called Supervision, Supervision. Um, it's a play on managers supervising. Like um, and the idea there really is 
you have to get to know the people that you're managing well enough to be able to figure out what those strengths and weaknesses are and play into them, right? So once you get to a sense of who the whole person is, you can see some of the blind spots that they might have um, and, and sort of block them from those typical blind spots that we could fall into or the, the repetitive actions that we do over and over again. Um, and you can also take advantage of those skills that maybe they weren't uh, aware that they even had. Um, so it's really about truly getting to know the people that work with you. And it's, I think that what we're asking for is a very tall order on managers. But when managers start to think of themselves as the talent as well, um, and how they want to be treated by the people above them, it becomes this sort of top-down philosophy. By the way, all of this stuff is a top-down philosophy. You can't have any success with it from a bottom-up situation. It has to start at the top, and you have to have this culture of people caring enough about individuals to bring these things out of them. Um, and I think for me in the pandemic in particular, especially when so much is being done on Zoom and, and, and video calls, intentionality become so much more important. Whereas before you might have a water cooler moment where you might bump into your manager and talk to them and, and share you know, what happened this weekend or, or didn't happen this weekend or what you wanna have, have happen this weekend. You have to be much more intentional about that now. So I think intentionality and managers understanding that they need to know more about the individuals that they're working with so that they can uh, utilize them more effectively and, and speak to all the different talents that they may have. I think that's incredibly vital. Well, let's take that to the next level on uh, thinking about the talent economy from the talent point of view. And in our podcast, as we think of an IntelliKey leader, not only trying to meet their performance goals, but also trying to elevate their sort of what we call soul's purpose. You know, what are we doing here for meaning? Uh, what, what can the individual do to raise their 10x value in the talent economy? Well, for starters, you know, speaking specifically to the purpose-driven part of, of what you're what you're speaking to, which I love, and this is really the first podcast I've done where that's been the real focus and and what the audience is looking for from the podcast. Very often, I'm bringing this purpose-driven concept to the conversation. Um, so that's so kudos to you guys. I think we're very simpatico here. Um, first of all, the individual has to know what it is that excites them. What does purpose mean to them? Because if you can connect to the why of a company, or if the company's why can connect to the individual that is going to work there, um, you're, you're bound to have a much greater connection than if it's just some, you don't really know what the mission is of the company, and you don't really know what you want in your own personal mission. So I think it can start very simply with understanding what's important to you as an individual. The better you know yourself and what you do and don't like and where the boundaries are for you, the better you can express that um, and the better you can be managed and led in that direction. Um, and the more that you align with the purpose and mission of the company that you're working for, the more likely that company is to retain you. Uh, to be honest with you, I think that is the number one reason for the great resignation is that people want purpose-driven work. And they're just not aligned with the companies that they were working with. They're not feeling the why of what the company is doing. And it's interesting. We had one guest call it the recalibration, you know, not just resignation, but the, I guess that almost uh, the balance of power, you know, I'm not just going to fulfill this job description as Kirsten was even describing earlier, but it's like, I, I want there to be more to it than that. 
Oh, a thousand percent. I, I think you're right. I don't think the great resignation as a term really resonates with what's going on because there isn't massive unemployment. It's people are shifting roles from one job to another or one vertical to another vertical. So it is a recalibration. Mm. You know, as we go through this and we talk about this purpose-driven stuff, I, I know even for myself, the changes I've made in my career are very personal and they have per- very personal outcomes, very personal reasons, which even led me to um, seeking higher guidance within myself to really uncover, you know, what was meaningful for me and why I would want to do certain things. Um, and for me, it tends to go around equal, like I have a lot of passions around equality, diversity, all of these things, but what was a turning point for you? Like what, for our audience, how would you frame your own authentic internal dialogue? Cause that's, that's how we move forward is our own internal reflection. And often in business, we miss that in, like in boardrooms don't talk about what drives us or what was a transformative moment that led me to starting this company. We don't have those conversations. Mm-hmm. We talk about the numbers that are going to get us there. You know, it's, it's something that was certainly iterative and I don't, I, I didn't start out being purposeful, mindful, or even reflective <laughs> in the early part of my career. <laughs> no, um, really? <laughs> yeah. I was, I was just I hoping that. to get a raise. <laughs> Yeah, you know, wisdom really comes with age. And um, so I think that we, my partner and I, we've been partners um, in all of our businesses going back to the mid, early, mid 90s. What we kind of realized about, I don't know, 12 years ago is what was exciting for us and what we liked to do was to guide and protect talent. And at the time, we were working with entertainment talent. So we had this very specific vertical in mind, but we soon realized that the, the concept of talent really broadens across multiple verticals. And that's when we ended up starting the tech talent agency, 10X Management, the mission being to help protect the freelance tech talent from not necessarily predatory behavior, but just professionalizing their world and helping to make their business side easier for them. Um, So, you know, I think it was something we kind of backed into and we realized this was a through line in our career and it was something that really excited us. Now, I will say we've always had a philanthropic angle to everything that we've done um, since the beginning of our career. And I really think that that's just a product of our environment. Um, I'd like to say it's something in us that's innately like we want to give back. I just think it's it's the people that we were surrounded with growing up um, and then professionally all were involved in charities in one way or another. And my partner and I grew up in New York City. Um, and so we've always had a charity component to everything that we've done. Um, whether it's, we, we run a charity out of our office, uh, a cancer, a sarcoma treatment um, and education charity called the Kristen Ann Car Fund. Um, and then my business partner, Michael, also co-founded a charity called Musicians on Call. So any chance that we have to be involved with philanthropy, um, have our tech talent work on philanthropic projects. Like those are things that are really meaningful to us. So in addition to protecting talent and really looking, wanting to help people, I think is sort of the underpinning there. We've always wanted to do things that uh, would give back to the, the community as well. 
Well, and you talked about entertainment. You've teed up my uh, question perfectly. Uh, I love the uh, analogy. Couldn't of, resist, could you, Mark? Couldn't resist. stars <laughs> and rock stars. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I like to go to the bottom of the resume, but like you were talking about, you and Michael started uh, in music management. Uh, but you also got me thinking if LeBron James is a W-2 employer, a 1099 freelancer, um, I'd be curious of how the Lakers pay him. But uh, going back to the rock stars, how, how do we need to think about our talent, you know, in that rock star kind of analogy? So there's a quote we have in the book, and it's a quote you've probably heard before from Steve Jobs, where he once famously said, and I'm paraphrasing here, we don't hire the best and brightest to tell them what to do. We hire the best and brightest so they can tell us what to do. And I think that to me speaks volumes. When you're bringing in somebody who is truly unique, um, you gotta give them the leeway to allow that uniqueness to blossom within your organization. You don't want to pigeonhole them. You don't wanna stifle them. Um, I can tell you again, using technology as the backdrop for the book, um, the coders that we work with, a lot of them do their best work in the middle of the night. And the reason for that is it's uninterrupted. You know, they can get into the flow state. They can really be creative in the way that they approach problems. And I think that's one of the unique things with 10Xers is that they are eminently creative. Uh, most of, believe it or not, most of the, the clients that we have that we represent at 10X um, also are musicians. Like there is a huge corollary between coders and musicians. There seems to be a unifying mental process in writing code and writing music or understanding music theory or being interested in that. Um, so I think that, you know, you have to give them that leeway to do what they do. Um, everybody needs guidance. Everybody needs some form of management, but micromanagement does not work very well with, with exceptionally gifted people. Um, and people who you want to make a seismic difference in your organization. So I think having the leeway to, to allow them to do the things that they do within some confines and, and guardrails, I think is, is truly important. And, and that's a, a through line between musicians and, uh, and 10 extras, I think. That to me was just a fascinating piece of knowledge tidbit. I love like tidbits of knowledge because they put my head in, in a whole way, right? Because if you think about even classical music, they, scientists love to have classical music because it opens up gateways for new thought, innovative thought. I mean, there's just so many parallels. How have you found that even for yourself? To me, you know, in a, a woo-woo metaphysical state, you know, Einstein would have called that a channeling state, right? And mm. that that's how it, it the experience is for me. Tesla had channeling states where things would just come in. That's how some of our greatest um, innovation was born. How does that work for you personally? You know, it's very interesting that, I, so I mentioned my partner, Michael Solomon. He and I have very different work styles. Um, he loves- Did you hear be, that, Mark? No, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> his, you mean his schedule that's okay? Is, <laughs> I think it's preferred, yin and yang. I think it's a wonderful thing. Like he likes to stack his schedule every day with as much stuff as possible you know, lots of phone calls, Zoom calls, meetings of different kinds. I like to have more space to think and strategize about things. So for me, that negative space, that time where I'm not specifically working on a project, and by the way, I can get into the flow state working on a project too. Like I love 
diving deep into something and I get lost in it and time sort of evaporates and all of a sudden it's like, wow, two hours have gone by and, and I've done so much and I've been so productive. But I'm equally as interested in that negative time where I can think of like, okay, what is it I want to achieve? How do I want to achieve it? That strategizing for me is super important. And I think that plays into a lot of the remote work stuff that we've been a proponent of for, for many, many years. When you're not in the office, you're not in the meeting flow or somebody stopping in your office or your cubicle or being tapped on the shoulder or getting a phone call or doing these things, it allows you a little bit of mental clarity to think about the priorities, begin to break them down. How do you want to approach them? So for me, less is more. Um, if I'm overly booked, I, you know, I can do it. It's not, it's not like it, it, it's, I'm not performing when I do that, but it's, it isn't the kind of day that, that really works well for me. Uh, terrific. Well, before we close, Roshana, I do, I do have another question for you, but want to make sure that folks know it's called The Game Changer, How to Be 10X in the Talent Economy. And how do we find you and connect with you and learn more about your work, Roshana? Yeah, so it, it can start with uh, the book website, which is gamechangerthebook.com. Um, all of my contact information there is there. Michael's contact information there we, is there. We've got a cute uh, quiz that you can take to see how 10x you are um, and how 10x your company is. Um, there's a lot of articles there. There's We have a little uh, podcast that we did as well, um, and people can connect with me through that. Oh, fantastic. Thanks for that. Well, like I said, as we close, I wanted to leave our listeners, especially the leaders in growth and development. We've been talking about how to change maybe the work balance and be more purpose-driven. What advice could you give us on how to ask for that at work? How to negotiate your way to the kind of workplace and the work style and the work balance that you're looking for? Well, like I said, I, I do think that these things start from a top-down philosophy. So I think as a leader, you really have to determine what is important for your organization. Do you want to have an organization that is open and inviting where people feel really comfortable maybe walking into your office and asking you a question? Um, or do you want to have it sort of walled off where you've got a bunch of levels between you and the, and the people that are working for you? Um, so I think that that's you know, the philosophy in the C-suite is really what dictates the culture of the company. And as I mentioned earlier, I think that intentionality, especially now, and I don't know how long we'll be in this semi-remote on-off, in-office, in not in-office situation, but I think intentionality from the leadership uh, of a company is, is way more important now than it used to be. You have to plan for those water cooler moments. You have to plan to connect with your employees. My son, who's at the University of Pennsylvania, was at a lecture yesterday, um, and the, 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 uh, the guest lecturer has a thousand person company. And he made a point of saying that he and his brother who run the company meet with every single employee at the company. Every new hire they meet with. So they take the time to get to meet and know and let these people know that they have an open door policy. They set that initial culture right from the get go. And again, this is intentional. This is intentionality. They are intentionally creating this environment. Um, and I think that that's the key, you know, top down philosophy and you set the agenda for what that means. Yeah, very good. Well, Rishan, we can't thank you enough for coming on the show and sharing your experience and uh, your insights. 
Yeah. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yes. And thanks, Michael, too, uh, for contributing his research and his experience as well. Thank you. Yes. And Kirsten, what a great conversation as we think about how to, I guess, uh, develop our leadership, but also develop the organizational purpose and, and drive. Yeah. You know, I, I just uh, had this thought. One of my favorite CEOs, and don't get me wrong, he demanded excellence. Like he demanded excellence. It was expected if you're going to be on his team, you show up. But when he walked into, we were in a turnaround situation. When he walked into our company, he stopped. And to your point, we were in the Arco Towers and we in LA and we had, you know, several floors. We were a telecommunications company. He introduced himself to everyone. And nobody was left out from the receptionist to the highest person in the room. And he also said, nobody is done wrong. Everybody gets a reset. But if you do it with me, you're gone. So nobody was predetermined as good or bad. We were given the ability to show up. And that really left a permanent mark on me. And he knew everybody's names. He knew our birthday. He knew our children. And it made me want to show up in a mm -hmm. level of excellence that transcended even my own belief system of what I could do. So yeah. I love that that was our closing story. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Well, listeners, as you've heard, even Rishan comment that this is a podcast where we talk about management, but we also bring our, I guess, what we would call our spiritual side, our IntelliKey side, our soul's purpose side to the program and the discussion as well. So come back again for our next episode, and we'll continue the discussion about IntelliKey leadership and reaching our full human potential in business and in life. For now, for Kirsten Gouldy, I'm Mark Stenson. And this is IntelliKey Leadership Stories. Bye for now. This podcast is produced by BSB Media. We also host two other podcasts you might enjoy. Unlocking Your World of Creativity and Five Minutes of Peace. Subscribe today and leave a review on your favorite podcast player.